We have uh, several things to go through today, and I'm, I'm excited about this message. And even before we begin, I just want to, to point out, uh, even as we have pointed out a couple of times you know, recently, even if you're not married today, one, one of the things that I think that this can help us do is to even help us to relate better to, to the opposite gender, all right? So there's just some principles here that we can take away and, and tuck away as far as just how we relate to one another. Uh, but we are going to be talking about marriage and how marriage works. And uh, let me just preface also by saying I am no marriage expert. Uh, I have a lot of experience now, but that doesn't necessarily make me an expert. Okay, so um, I'm trying to we're going to try to bring for you some things in relation to God's word and uh, and what it has to say. So, you know, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, there's there's it's not theory. It's it's truth. But at the same time, the practice, you know, is lacking right up here, too. All right. So let's let's uh, just kind of roll forward here. First of all past two weeks, we have covered specific instructions to both the husband and the wife. We obviously began with the wife, and then last week talked about the husband's um, uh, requirements, basically. And these instructions were in addition to the sinful practices and character qualities that we're to both remove from ourselves and the wholesome things that we were supposed to put on. So we were, we were going from uh, the Colossians portion, where we're putting these things off, putting those things on, and then, and then in addition to that, here's something that the wives need to know. Here's something that the husbands need to know. And we'll be getting into uh, the, the uh, parental relationship with the children as well coming up. The wife is to live in submission to her husband, which means to voluntarily place yourself under her husband based upon God's structure for the home. It's not a matter of, of worth it's a matter of position. It's a matter of how God structured things. The husband is to love his wife with a self-sacrificing love. And also to not be harsh. Rather, he is to live with her in an understanding way and be devoted to his wife. And as we noted last week, with responsibility comes more instruction. And that is exactly what the husband received. The husband received more instruction than the wife. And it's because he has more responsibilities to take care of. Again, not more important responsibilities, but different. Let's also remember that this is a continual process. That this is something that the wife needs to work toward, and this is something that the husband needs to work toward. And so what I'm going to do is um, uh, I want to give credit to Emerson, and I don't know exactly how to say his last name. It's either Egrich. Egrix or Ed, Edrix. I can't remember which one it is. But uh, he, he wrote something called Love and Respect. Um, I'll just tell you that I do highly recommend you, you uh, uh, working through uh, the series that they have as a married couple. It's, it's really wonderful. Some people criticize their work because he does bring in even some secular studies and things. But as I have gone through it and as I've even taught it myself, I will just tell you that all he's doing is saying, here's what the Bible says. Oh, and by the way, man concurs. All right. It's not that he's bringing in a bunch of, you know, psychology per se. All right. He's just simply bolstering exactly what the scriptures say in, in, in several different ways. We're going to be giving you this morning an overview of that. Okay. Um, today is going to be much more applicational than the last couple of weeks. 
Again, it's an overview, but what I want us to do is I want to prompt us to live according to the biblical model that God gives for marriage. I want you to just, as, as we begin here, take a look at 1 Corinthians 7.28. Now, at first you're going to look at this and go, oh, great, but just hang on, okay? 1 Corinthians 7.28. But if you marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. Okay? <laughs> yeah, it's a great beginning, isn't it? But here's the point. There are going to be troubles in marriage. Why? Because we have two sinners coming together, living together. Okay? In marriage. Just want to make sure I stress that. Okay? So, so we're going to have issues. And we're two different people. God designed us differently to come together as partners in life. All right? So, again, we, we don't want this to be like, oh, no. You know, but but it, what we want to do is we want to manage the troubles. Right? right? So let's move forward with this. First off, let's look at the essentials for the husband and the wife. And here's where we're going to spend most of our time. All right? The essentials of the husband and the wife. Ephesians 5.33, the last verse in the section that we read this morning that, that Larry read for you says this, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We'll be considering these phrases in Ephesians 5.33 from the viewpoint of the other person. Right? So this is something that the husband is told to do, something the wife is told to do, but we're going to be looking at this from the viewpoint of the other person. These firm instructions, you could even call them commands, contain an essential need embedded into the nature of the man and the woman. We need to note that these are not exclusive. Of course, women need respect and men need love. We are complex individuals created in the image of God. It's kind of like a talented artist whose true medium is sculpting. Right? They can do a lot of other things, but man, sculpting is really where it's at for them. Or uh, an all-around athlete who excels in baseball. It's kind of the same thing when it comes to the husband and the wife. For, for the wife, loving comes naturally. For the husband, he understands this, this respect aspect of life. And so really what's happening is, is the other party is learning how to work with, how to deal with, how to live with the other person, all right? So as we consider this, we, we, I want to look at some scriptures that talk about how a wife needs to be loved by her husband. Scriptures relate that relate to this are first, Genesis 29, 32, and 33. This is when um, we have the, the, this, the story with, with, uh, with Leah, who was trying to be loved, but of course we know that Jacob actually loved Rachel more. So it says, So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. So here we have... And, and yeah, we can feel sorry for Leah, but I, you know, I, in God's plan, I don't know how all that worked out. But the bottom line is she wanted, she needed to be loved. Judges 16, 15. 
Then she said to him, and this is, this is uh, Samson and Delilah, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, have not told me where your great strength lies. Now, you know, we know the whole story here, but the point is this. This was his wife, even though she was not supposed to be, as far as, as, far as marriage is concerned. She was, she was uh, uh, from the Philistines. But it says, how can you love me? Uh, how can you see I love you when your heart is not with me? Right? There's that relational part of that that, uh, that she felt was missing from Samson. She wanted this. She desired this. 1 Samuel 25, 3. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. This is the woman who eventually took some stores, took some things to David, right? Because David asked of this because he was giving Nabal, giving his, um, uh, give me a second, his shepherds and his servants, he was giving them protection, right? And so Nabal refused. But look at what it says here. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his doings. And then Song of Solomon 2, verses 2 through 4. Now, I just got to tell you, this is couched in some other language that we're not going to use, you know, here and try to explain what it means. This part's relatively safe, so we're going to go here. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. How do husbands show this unconditional love to their wife? There's a few ways that we can do this. We can first demonstrate to her that she is special and of great value. In verse 1 of what we see here, the Shulamite woman compares herself to beautiful yet common flowers. Um, if you go back to verse 1 in that passage, and I'm sorry I didn't put that up here, but it basically says that she was a rose of Sharon or a lily of the valley. Solomon responds in verse 2 by basically saying she is a lily among thorns. In other words, compared to all the other women, they're just a bunch of thorns. She's the flower that stands out. She is the beautiful one. She's the one that I adore. She's the one that I elevate. Right? And then, he, and then it says a little bit later on, his banner over me is love. And actually, let me, let me pause for a moment. She responds, as an apple tree among the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. Right here, what we're talking about, and we'll, we'll refer to this a little bit later, but we're talking about his, his, his pr protection and his, and his provision. So then it says that his banner uh, uh, over her was love. This banner or flag signifies that his love had conquered her. That's what she's saying. And it signifies belonging and protection. Her security was his love. That's the picture there. Then I want us to be reminded, we've looked at this last week, but 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, that means your wives, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Uh, we looked at that in a little more detail last week. We're not going to spend as much time on it this week. But we have previously studied men and women are equals before God, equal but different. Peter tells the husband to honor or place a high value on his wife as one who was weaker and more delicate physically and emotionally. Now, that doesn't mean that women don't have strength. That's not what it's talking about. But what it's saying is, is that compared to a man in these ways, they are weaker. Weaker. Really, the scripture saying is we're all weak, right? This simply means that women are more easily hurt physically and emotionally. And the husband is not to take advantage or abuse that trait in his wife. These same qualities have a lot to do with some other ways that husbands can demonstrate their love. All right. And just, just to quickly illustrate, I mentioned before, I'm not going to sit here and try to illustrate with our marriage for various reasons, but when we were younger, when we were probably either dating or just past that stage, you know, we we kind of just mess with each other a little bit or whatever. And every once in a while, Maggie would give me like this this thump on my shoulder, right? And I don't know, think it was meant to hurt. But what I would basically do when she did that, I was I would go, mm, you know, like like there was a mosquito, and and you know, and you know, so I, here I am, I'm, I'm I'm like the big bad guy. I'm like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, hit me, right? And then she'd thump me again, right? And I'd be like, mm, you know, so and, and like I say, it wasn't like he was angry or anything like that, but it was just like this show of strength. You know what I mean? I know I'm embarrassing myself, but that's okay. You get the point. So one time she, she hauls back and she, she whomps me on the shoulder and she goes, ow, with her own arm, right? She hurt her hand. And it's not like, you know, oh, Pastor Scott, you're so strong. It's not the point. The point is I'm stronger than she is. I can take it more than she could, right? And, and that's all we're talking about here. So the husband needs to understand that and respond rightly to that. And then there's the area of emotional intimacy. We need to work at being understanding. Remember, we're talking about something that doesn't come as natural to us. Guys, guys know how to love, but not, not like women, right? This includes every aspect of living with a life, but let's specify engaging with her in an emotionally sensitive way. Women tend to interconnect things, whereas men compartmentalize. Now, folks, I'm, I'm just going to be very real with you. I'm compartmentalizing right now. I got some things going on in my life. As a guy, I can set those things aside and do what needs to be done. It just happens. That's how and why a man can swallow fear or anything else and run into battle. Knowing full well, he may die. It's just a reality. But women don't compartmentalize as much. Their life is more interconnected. And so we need to meet them on that level and, and respect, respect them in an understanding and loving way. Another thing that we can do is spend time listening and communicating. Women appreciate relating together, right? Men are more about doing something together. And that's why women's stories are more often more involved, especially when compared to men. And they give a lot of details. 
Now, ladies, we don't have to know every detail in order to share with you. So help us there. But you know as well as I do, right, that happens. Where it's like, okay, uh, this is too much information, right? And the guy starts to shut down, okay? I'm not making fun of women. What I'm trying to say is, guys, that really is an opportunity for us to say, hey, I'm going to love you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to engage because this is important to you. Now, again, it's not like that can happen every time. You know, sometimes, you know, you call your husband at work. It's going to have to be the short story, you know, and so on. Right. But you get what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to give you some, some real life things going on here. But we need to invest the time in listening and communicating. And then something we talked about last week, but I still want to emphasize is faithfulness. I want to remind us that a wife needs a husband to be faithful, to give her the attention that she needs, and to be physically and emotionally faithful in their relationship. This is vital. Now, as we think about all this, it's like, okay, so, you know, I need to make sure that I, I let her talk things out and try to relate to her and, and you know, I, I need to... to um, be emotionally intimate with her and sensitive and understand that, that, that she's going to be more sensitive about things than I am and, and possibly even hurt more easily and different things like that and all things we talked about. And, and, and we might think to ourselves, men, right? Man, my wife is like an emotional hot mess, right? I mean, that's my, what might be going through our heads. But that is not the case. That is not the case. Their general makeup is more emotionally based. This is the wife's greatest need in the relationship. This is why God tells the husband to love his wife and not be harsh with her. God gives the instructions to the husband because he knows the needs of the wife. And that's why we're talking about this being a biblically based concept here. That we give of ourselves in a loving fashion. We don't get harsh we don't get irritated about things because we are trying to live with them in an understanding way all right now a husband also needs to be respected by his wife Simply put, respect means to value something or someone. If I respect someone's property, I won't steal or damage it. If I respect a person, I will at least treat them properly, if not treat them in some honorable way. If I respect authority, I won't rebel against it. Why? Because I have placed value on it. I have placed value on something or someone. Now, there's something that I need to stress here. We live in a love-saturated society. Love is active, outward, and celebrated. Love is what we can use a big word for is enculturated, right? It is in every part of our living. We have movies, music, novels, greeting cards, holidays, the Hallmark Channel, the other Hallmark Channel, the other channel that looks like the Hallmark Channel, all celebrating and centered on love, okay? We even have a Christian book called The Five Love Languages, right? In short, love is expected. 
Now, I don't know that I'm necessarily arguing with that. I'm just trying to help us couch what we're going to be talking about next. Because on the other hand, respect is somewhat behind the scenes and is often an unspoken understanding, mostly among men. As I mentioned to you, I've taught through the Love and Respect series a number of times. One particular time, we had viewed the video and discussed the section on respecting your husband. The next week, I was doing a quick review, and we were getting ready to introduce the next topic. When one of the wives raised their hand and she said, Pastor Scott, we don't get it. Now, I think I responded by first explaining, okay, you know, I started to explain something that I had just reviewed, you know, a point that I had made, and she interrupted me. She said, no, we don't get it. We were talking before class, and we don't understand any of last week. <laughs> Folks, there were 12 to 15 women in this room representing several age groups. This is my point. We know love. Even guys, when it's not just coming naturally to us, we see enough of it, we, we get the language, we start to learn it. Respect is something that is not necessarily touted in our society. As a matter of fact, um, we kind of bristle against it a bit. We often say, that respect must be earned. So imagine with me, before we get into some things regarding the man, and this is necessary, ladies. I'm not picking on you. I'm just having to hit where we have a need. Imagine if we flipped the husband-wife script. What if the husband said something like this? I will show love to my wife when she earns it. Or, my wife did this or that, and now I don't think I'll ever be able to love her again. The problem is, things like that can slip out of our mouth when it comes to respect. And frankly, it's acceptable to society. So let's look at some scriptures here. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, i got to pause for a minute. I've used this passage before, taught on it, and the tendency is to say this is for those wives that have unbelieving husbands, right? That's not exactly what it says. And there might be another clearer passage. This says, so that even if some do not obey the word, do not obey the word, Let's say anything about faith. It talks about whether or not they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Whether or not they're doing that, what is the wife to do? To be respectful. Now, again, we've already couched this two weeks ago. This is, this is not a slave mentality. I want to make sure that we understand this. This is voluntarily placing ourselves under the authority that God has given to women, men. Imperfect. But someone who is to sacrifice himself for her, a sacrificial love, and all those other things we talked about. We've already couched all of this, but yet we have to do it again because I, I can, not, I'm not blaming anybody here, but you can almost feel it in society. You're telling me what? Right? 
But this is what God is telling you as wives. Place yourself under your husband's authority and be respectful and have good character. That is how you win your husband over. Proverbs 21, 19. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Isn't that nice? Better to be out in the middle of the desert than to have a wife who is constantly going against you. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. You know, we're going to end with a positive here, but kind of. Now, Michael saw Saul's daughter, uh, now Michael, sorry, Saul's daughter loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. But look at what happens after that. 2 Samuel chapter 6, in your pew Bible, it's page 272. 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's just a little too big to put on the screen here, folks. Notice the previous passage was in 1 Samuel. All right? So now we're in 2 Samuel. Some time has gone by. Um, Michael, um, Saul's daughter, has married David. And now we see in chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, it says this. David is, is uh, welcoming the ark into uh, the city. It says, As the ark of the Lord came into the sea of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. What's another word for that, folks? Lack of respect. Okay? Now then let's look down, starting in verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids and his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And so David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Wow. Folks, as we look at this, respect is pretty important. It's something that we need to prize and to value as much as love no more no less but as much as love and it is something that the husband needs respect to the man is as love to the woman it energizes men particularly husbands just as we learn that submission isn't servitude respect doesn't mean that your own personhood is crushed under the husband's heavy hand. We've already saw that Scripture doesn't teach that. But a great example is how men fit into structure or hierarchy. We can look at the workforce or the military. Men generally don't have a problem operating where they fit. They respond well to clear instructions and expectations. 
and they recognize and appreciate a job well done, whether it be on a peer level or those working under them. It's just generally how men work. I understand that the workplace can be a crazy place too. But generally, we can slide in and we can fit where we are. We, we find our place and we just move forward with that. So in what ways can a wife meet her husband's need for respect? It's just some things that we can help you ladies work on. Recognize um, and appreciate his desire to provide. We kind of hearkened back to that when it came to even uh, the Song of Solomon passage, where the wife was, was actually exalting her husband, respecting her husband, praising her husband because she found a resting place under him and she found sustenance from him, right? What type of work the husband does and how well he provides is irrelevant as long as obviously the husband is actually providing. Meaning, a wife should never look at her husband's work and say, can't you do better than that? Or can't you bring in more money? Shouldn't we be living a better lifestyle? Instead, there should be an appreciation for the sacrifice that he makes. And I understand today, the way we have our society, a woman can be making more than a man. It's, it, it, th- those things are not really relevant. It's a matter of recognizing and appreciating that drive that men have to provide. Then also recognize and appreciate his leadership. Good leadership in the home is required of church leaders. Look at these two passages here. Both in second in first Timothy. First Timothy three, four, and five is talking about the pastor or the elder. He must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? It's a good question, isn't it? And then to the deacons, it says, deacons must be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. So if you think about it, if this is good for leadership because it's a requirement, Right? Isn't that good for all households? Isn't this something that men would strive to do? Yes. But in church leadership, it's required. There has to be some evidence of it. And then also, and and folks, there's scripture to back some of these things up. We just don't have time. There's a requirement to explain it. But when we're talking about respecting our husband, there's also something about being his companion. Guys relate differently than women. We, we know that. Guys tend to do things. This energizes us. Men go fishing or golfing or do a project together and hardly say one thing, but walk away completely fulfilled. Right? It's true, isn't it? Sometimes we talk more about what we did when we weren't talking than when we were there being together. In other words, remember that trip like, you know, back in 1998 when we were fishing and man, they were fight like, yeah, that was fantastic, you know, and we relive that. We may have used more words to describe that time than the words that were passed when we were there. All right. So here's the point. Wives on a wife honors her husband when she does things with him or invests time with him. Even if nothing is said. 
That's, that's that alternate person that you have in your life. So if a guy is going to say, you know what? I love my wife, so I'm going to listen to all these details. As a matter of fact, I've already got all these things figured out, but she doesn't want me to really tell her something. She doesn't want me to solve the problem. She just wants me to hear out the problem. That's fine. I'm, I'm going I'm to work through that. Well, for the wife, it's the same thing. You, you, mean, you mean like we're not going to you know, just sit over coffee and talk? No, no, I'm just going to go do something. You know? that, that's okay. As a matter of fact, imagine. And guys, I, I know I'm speaking to you, okay? Whatever you like to do, if your wife is with you, now, let's use the example of hunting, just because I know a, a couple that hunt together, okay? You don't want to have a long conversation while you're hunting. It's not good for hunting. <laughs> but if you just sat in the blind together, you're just there. And then your husband blasts little Bambi, right? <laughs> Drags out of the woods, fills your freezer with it, and he's like, man, that was a great day. Thanks for coming. You just honored him. So here we go. If we consider all of this, we could also react in a similar, similar way than we did to the women, to their need for love. And we could say it sounds like the husband is on an ego trip. Everything's about him. But that is not a right assessment either. It's a matter of needs. And it's a matter of meeting one another's needs. So let's go to something that, that um, and, and I'm just telling you, uh, these two points are based upon the Love and Respect series. Um, Emerson Egricks calls this actually the crazy cycle. I'm calling it the selfish cycle. The challenge for the husband is to love sacrificially and to lead gently. And the challenge for the wife is to follow respectfully. It is the selfishness of both the husband and the wife that complicates and breaks down God's design of meeting the other spouse's most essential need in the relationship. Folks, that's the way he made us. A cycle of selfishness begins when the husband, with the husband being unloving or the woman being disrespectful. Now, this sounds rather simplistic at first, but we could be referring to the beginning of what might be what we might call a rough patch during the marriage or a current ongoing issue or even just another addition to a simmering sense of conflict. And folks, we love that, don't we? We just love conflict in our marriages. We wake up in the morning thinking, how can I make life miserable for my spouse? Right? We don't. So no matter who starts it or what the subject is, it creates conflict or fuels frustration or confusion or hurt or disappointment. Based upon our experiences, both are less likely to respond in a way that feeds our spouse's most basic need, right? If we're going through this selfish cycle, it's very difficult to break to a degree. We can respond poorly in dozens of ways which keeps fueling the cycle of the husband being unloving and the wife being disrespectful in their words and actions. It's kind of like a merry-go-round, only there isn't anything merry about it. Our poor reactions create perpetual motion. Sometimes we don't even understand that we are on a ride 
and that that ride is of our own making. Here's the thing. We're often not talking really about the larger part of the, the relationship, but the frustrations are what seem to stand out. Is that a fair statement, folks? If, if we were just to take a snapshot of our lives and say, okay, where's the conflict? It's not 100%. It's not, it's not even 80%. We're going down the line. But yet that seems to be what is there, is on the surface all of the time. It's probably because of what, it's what hurts. A large part of our marriage may be fine. But just like a twisted ankle or broken ribs, these recurring and unloving and disrespectful actions occupy our thoughts and our emotions. So what can we do about it? Instead, I'm going to suggest the selfless cycle. By selfless, I don't mean that there is no self-interest at all. Okay? Come on. You know, it's not a paralyzing consideration for the other person. You know, it's kind of like that last piece of pizza. You eat it. No, you eat it. No, you eat it. No, you eat it. This is not what we're talking about here. Okay? It's a self-sacrificing consideration for the essential need of your partner as well as an effort to consider their point of view. Marriage is reciprocal, and there is always going to be a healthy giving and receiving. Selfless means we are willing and intentional about giving our spouse what they most need in the relationship. Men need respect, and women need love. Now, here's the thing. This, too, creates its own momentum. This is, this is the good part, folks. Again, Dr. Egrich says that this is the reward cycle. I probably said his name five different ways. I have no idea. But anyway, he says this is the reward cycle. When a husband sacrificially loves his wife, she will respond in ways that respect her husband, which means to value him. When the wife responds to her husband in respectful ways, it motivates him to respond to his wife in loving ways. And folks, you know, if we really think about it, we can recognize this in our relationships. But it's something that we need to perpetuate. It's something that we need to have as a selfless cycle. So answer me this. Is it easier to develop a selfish cycle or a selfless cycle of meeting our spouse's needs? Frankly, it's easy to default to the selfish, isn't it? But now let me ask you another question. What's the one that's truly going to be easiest on us? I'm not saying that it's not going to take some work. What is actually going to be the most beneficial for both parties? It's the selfless. It's what God tells us to do. So are we willing to put in the work and put our spouse first? Folks, there's a lot here, but I, I, as a conclusion, I want us to look at a positive, realistic outlook. And I'll go through this as quickly as I can. Tools to make this work. First, start where you are. Don't wait for the other person to start doing it right. You perform your part regardless of the circumstances because this is obedience to God's commands. 
All right? You be obedient. Don't be dependent on the other person for your obedience. Trust God. Do what he says. And then commit to one another. Commit to one another. Commit to doing this. Recognize and appreciate one another and communicate your love and respect for your spouse. In other words, maybe take a step back, and I'm encouraging you to do this. Just have a conversation. What do I see in you, wife? What do I see in you, husband? What do I respect about you, husband? What do I, how, how do I want to show my love to you? How do I show my love to you, wife? Where, is, where are the points of appreciation? Communicate what is in your heart regarding your own needs. Now, this is, this is free, okay? This is all free advice, so do what you want with it. But here's a little hint. Talking about our needs while we're arguing is not very effective. <laughs> but talking about our needs when we're both open and honest with one another is extremely effective. Refresh your relationship as needed by sitting down, talking through, and actually evaluating your relationship. This is the most effective way that you can talk that you can talk about this, right? And you can also talk about you and not them. Not meaning, here's all of my needs, but hey, you know, I'll just say for me, Maggie. I'm just telling you, I can see where I have, I've fallen short here. And, and I, I need to do a better job there. Can you imagine? And folks, look, you know, I've been very careful. I don't want to come off as, as like we're, we got the perfect marriage, but we do work on it. And there are times when we really do sit down and, and we, we evaluate things. And the first thing that comes out of my mouth is what I'm doing wrong, not what Maggie's doing wrong. I, I didn't say that's all the time, <laughs> okay? But when we sit down and we deliberately evaluate it, that's where we're at. But there's also some wonderful things that we celebrate that we do right. Now, I have just a few warnings for you to finish here. First off, we need to warn against questioning motives. You might be tempted to question why your spouse is doing what they're doing, right? All of a sudden, after this message, they're acting differently. What, what, what are you up to, right? <laughs> this is an ulterior motive. Folks, love gives the benefit of the doubt. Amen. Isn't that right? You're just doing that because... No, no. Believe that they're doing it because they want to obey the Lord and they either want to love you, if they're the husband... Or respect you if they're the wife. Amen. Another warning. Warning against pressuring the other spouse. The truth is, no amount of coercion is going to really change them. That's not a good approach. God's formula seems to be that when we live selflessly, it will encourage our spouse to live selflessly. I believe that is what Peter had in mind when he wrote... In 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2 and 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even as some, and I know I've already read this, 
Do not obey the word that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Likewise, in the same way, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of, great, of the grace of life. Do you see the reciprocalness there? Man, folks, can we just pause for a minute? God's word is awesome. It is amazing. He really has given us the answers. It's not like this secret formula. It's not some psychological gymnastics. It's just doing what God says. And I also need to gently warn you against expectations. I encourage you not to set expectations for the other person. First, this is a self-centered mindset, and it's not going to be helpful, right? That's what we're guarding against. But secondly, it's always easy to require more of others than it is of ourselves, right? Okay, let's see. How's she measuring up this week, you know, right? I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. But how is she doing with this whole respect? Thing? Maybe I need to point a couple of things out, right? And then lastly, I just want to say you can succeed. I mean, seriously, think about this. Is God going to tell us to do something and there really is no way of accomplishing it? Or there's no benefit to accomplishing it? There is great benefit here, folks. You can develop a successful, fulfilling relationship through obedience to the Word of God and by ultimately putting the Lord Jesus Christ first. Folks, that's not just a tack on. That's in the context. All right? But we're talking about husbands and wives. So, so here's, here's just where, where we just need to get very real. The issue comes down to this. For us to somehow feel like, you know, they've got to do this or they've got to do that, right? Talking about the other party. Or, man, I, I can't do that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't sit there and, 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 you know, engage in that kind of conversation, right? Or I can't go do that activity. That's, I have no interest in that. It's not about the conversation. It's not about the activity. It's about your spouse. It's about sacrificing yourself for them. It's about putting them first. As God intended so that we're both doing it. When the husband's needs are met and the wife's needs are met, there's a desire for the husband to meet the wife's needs more. And there's a desire for the wife to meet the husband's need more. The problem is, it's a lot easier to practice selfishness. I didn't say it was easier to live it. But it's a lot easier to practice it. It takes work to practice righteous, selfless living in your marriage. I believe you can do it. And frankly, it doesn't matter a whiff what I think. God not only tells you to do it, but I believe that he believes you can do it. Why? Because he's given you his Holy Spirit and he's given you the partner that you have to live with. And guess what? 
when we do it right, we bring glory to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we can apply this with sons and daughters, with moms and dads. We can even think about this in our general relationships as far as just how that other gender might be looking at things. But Lord, we focused on husbands and wives. I pray, Father, for the marriages represented in this room, that each person will simply do what they are to do in that marriage. That as we have seen some kind of rough passages, but also some some passages of some beautiful hope. Lord, I pray that we will give to our spouse, even if we think that they might not deserve it. That we will give them what we need, what they need. Our greatest example is Jesus Christ giving us everything that we need completely holy, never missing anything. And so, Lord, I pray that we will aspire to be like Jesus. A lot of words, easy to say. It's going to take some work to live it out. May we give grace to one another, but may we put in the time. Have those honest conversations, Lord. Cause us to do that. And may our marriages and our homes flourish as a result. Lord, give us that patience that's part of love. Give us that gentleness that's part of love. Give us that truthfulness that's part of love. And help us, Lord, to respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.